pays to polonium, now the polonium is available to the hot waters flowing past between the sheets of the biotite flakes. And how do we know that water does that? Because biotite changes colour as a result of hot water flowing through it. It's altered to a mi another mineral called chlorite, which is, which is greenish, when most biotites aren't. And so the uranium decay supplies radon and polonium to the hydrothermal fluids. Now, interestingly, I discovered when I began to look into this research, I found a book from the 1960s which talked about the chemical properties of polonium. And what did I discover? It loves chlorine. Guess what's the highest component in, well, common salt is chlorine. What's the commonest component in salty waters? Chlorine. What's the common component in hot fluids from volcanic rocks? Chlorine. So you've got the chlorine flowing past the zircon crystals and the polonium just says, I love you, and off it goes. <laughs> it behaves the same way as the, the element lead. And so it can easily bond with chlorine atoms in the, uh, uh, attracted by the chlorine and flows out in the fluids. And so the model says that the water, hot water flowing through will take the radon and polonium to a nearby site. And interestingly, between these sheets of biotite, okay, the, the, the sheets are made up of a ring structure. The strength of the crystal is in this direction. Between the crystal is weak, which is why it peels apart. These sheets are held together by various atoms, including um, a hydroxide, components and also metals. In fact, copper sometimes links these two chains. And therefore, you only need something like sulfur or chlorine in that location to pull the, the, pull the polonium out of solution. Interesting, in the last two weeks, we've been actually extracting the centres of polonium radiohalos to study them and chemically analyse them. Often, there's nothing there. It was probably originally a fluid bubble that concentrated the polonium in hot water with chlorine. And if, if there was chlorine there, it would precipitate as salt. And guess what? You know, while I was in the Grand Canyon last week, they started this analytical work. I haven't read all the emails yet, but I noticed they're talking about salt. So again, it's a verification of this, of this model. And so once the, polonium, once the polonium is carried, either the radon is transported, and radon does dissolve in hydrothermal fluids, I also found that out, so the fluids can carry both radon and polonium, and that's important because if you're going to get a polonium-218 or polonium-214 halo, it probably is going to be radon that, radon that does the transport, because it once it turns to polonium, the polonium is gone in no time at all. So both of those elements have to be able to be transported by hydrothermal fluids, and experimental evidence confirms that. So once the polonium is concentrated, and here's the key. Remember I said that Robert Gentry said all of the polonium had to be there all at once? Well, why? And that, that creates a problem. Now we have a solution. Why? Because once the polonium arrives in the radio centre, what is it going to do? Decay. 
but it's going to leave behind the chemical conditions that are able to grab the next polonium polonium atom that's flowing in the water. And so instead of having the 50% all there at once, you can build it up progressively through time as the water flows along and the atoms decay. And so you get a progressive build-up, more atoms come in, more, and that's what I'm depicting here until the polonium atom forms. So you've got, a, say, a sulphur atom there. It attracts the polonium because polonium sulphide has been found in, in volcanic fluids adjacent to volcanic, volcanoes, for example, in Italy. And it gives off the alpha particles. More polonium flows along to replace the polonium that's just decayed, and so eventually you form the polonium radio halo. So, what is the evidence for this rapid hydrothermal fluid transport model? Well, the short half-lives certainly indicate it has to be a rapid process. The short distances are fine, less than a millimetre. We often find empty bubbles that probably were filled with fluids, and now we're finding evidence of salt crystals that are left over from those fluids. And interestingly, and this is the crunch that we're going to test, the greater number of polonium radio halos therefore implies there were greater volumes of hydrothermal fluids in those granites. Here's a way that we can test this idea. If it is the fluids, the more fluids, the more polonium, the more halos. So there are some restrictions, as I said, um, as I'm going to indicate, in implications. As we said, fully formed uranium radio halos require at least 100 million years worth of decay. Only that much decay will supply the polonium concentrations needed for the polonium radio halos. Again, radon has only a short half-life of 3.8 days. So the whole process has to be extremely rapid, which implies that the transport and the formation of the polonium radio halos, the transport of the polonium and radon, and the formation of the polonium radio halos had to occur within hours to days. Now that's going to be significant, as you'll see in a moment, because I'm going to apply this research. And as I've hammered time and time again, 100 million years of uranium decay had to have occurred concurrently as the uranium radio halos formed and the polonium radio halos formed, I should say. Thus, uranium-238 decay had to be grossly accelerated. But here's the crunch. The zircons were decaying as soon as the granite magma started to cool, which means polonium and radon were being formed from the very early stages of the cooling of the granite from 650 to 730 degrees, but the halos themselves can't form in the biotite crystals until they're as cool as 150 degrees. So the polonium and radium has got to survive long enough with a high enough concentration to be captured by the fluids and transported to form these radio halos. So what does that mean? The granites had to cool within days. Ah, now we're getting to the crux of the issue. Because you see, how many times have we been told, for example, by Davis Young, Christian geologist at um, Calvin College, from his first book to his most recent book last year, that the granites have to take millions of years to cool, and so it can't have been a young earth. Well, here we have in the radio halos evidence that the granites had to have cooled within days. 
because otherwise the radio halos, the polonium radio halos would not have formed. And this diagram has already appeared, published in our ANSWERS research journal uh, in articles on the radio halos. For example, earlier this year there was an article on, on the granites in Yosemite, which I'm going to refer to in a moment. But here we have the granite forming. The molten rock is pushed up and intrudes. It's at a temperature way up there. The zircon crystals are, are already forming in the granite. And then the other minerals crystallise, and they're all crystallised by 570-odd degrees. The first fluids are released below 400 degrees, but here, down here, it's 150 degrees only below that that we can form the halos. This is the time temperature window. So, the, with the zircon here, up here, the, the radon and polonium are going to start being produced very quickly, particularly if there's accelerated nuclear decay. Unless the granite cools fast enough, all that decay is going to have occurred and all the polonium and radon is going to have gone away. That rapid accelerated uranium decay is going to have occurred and there's going to be no polonium left to form the halos. Okay, let's test the model. And I heard about this area of the United States, not just because it has lovely rhododendrons, it has lots of good rocks. And I thought to myself, now wait a minute, if we can find a place where I can predict where there might have been more fluids, therefore there should be more polonium radio halos, this would be an interesting place. Why? Well, here in the Great Smoky Mountains, east of Gatlinburg, there are metamorphosed sandstones. Now, sandstones often contain zircon crystals. In fact, that's the major source of zirc zircon for zirconium, metal. And in Australia, we mine the beach sands for zircons to extract zirconium. Okay. And when the rock metamorphosed, what happened? Well, some of the clay within the sandstone produced biotite. And also the process involved hot water. So here we have the three ingredients, a zircon to su supply the uranium, biotite to be the repository for the polonium, and hot water to move it. Now, when you study the area, most people don't realise that you go in, in, a, in a metamorphic area, you can actually see different zones through the rocks where the metamorphism has been higher temperature and pressure. You get different minerals produced by higher temperatures and higher pressures. And the boundaries between these zones are where a new mineral appears. So for example, if we go from Gatlinburg along the highway, we cross the garnet line. That's where garnets start appearing in these metamorphosed sandstones. We go a little bit further and we come to the storolite line where storolite has formed in the sandstones, which is at a higher temperature and pressure. We go a little bit further, and we're almost into North Carolina, and we get the kyanite zone, or the kyanite line, where kyanite starts appearing. Now, if you've never heard those minerals before, don't worry, go home and look up a mineralogy textbook. But here's the point. First of all, there we are sampling these sandstone. I mean, it's a lot of fun doing geology. You drive along the highway, pull up by a road cut, and 
knockoff. I did that once in Kingman, Arizona. A driver went past, he must have called the local police. They were around in a flash to see what we were doing, destroying the, the local environment. But here's what a metamorphosed sandstone looks like under the microscope. And you can see all the pretty colors. Now, here's the interesting point. At that line in the rocks where the storolite crystals first appeared, that indicates that there was a metamorphic reaction. A reaction where certain minerals reacted with one another to produce a new different group of minerals and that were better able to survive the higher and temperatures than pressures. What was that reaction? 54 micro, my, muscovite or white mica radical, um, um, formulae plus 31 chloride, the mineral chloride, produces 54 biotite, 24 storite, 152 quartz and 224 water. Hello. Hmm. At this line, there's a lot of water. So I said before we collected the samples, I predict that we're going to find more polonium radio halos right at that point. And so we collected the samples. What did we find? More polonium radio halos at that point. Actually, you can read about that on the website homepage at the moment, where we're showcasing predictions made by creation scientists in their research, and this is one of them. So that strengthens our, 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 um, our support for this hydrothermal fluid model. Well, the researchers branched out into studying metamorphic rocks because this verification came from metamorphic rocks. And so in southeastern Australia, I've mentioned to you before, we have this metamorphic complex. It's actually near our highest mountains in Australia. Yes, we do get mountains in Australia, just over 7,000 feet. If you've ever seen the movie The Man from Snowy River, this is the area. And it's a classic textbook example of zones of increasing metamorphism of shales and siltstones. All the textbooks illustrate this example. At the centre, the temperatures were so high that the rocks started to melt and form a granite. And as I said earlier, you can literally walk over the outcrops from fossiliferous flood sediments across the zones of increasing metamorphism right into the centre, into the granite. Sorry about the scale, but it's the elongation that's the problem. But here you can see these zones, and in the centre on the township of Kuma is the granite. Here's some of the outcrops, just again in road cuts, which are the easiest place to get to the, to the outcrops, and this is what these metamorphic rocks look under the, like under the microscope. And even in a regular rock-thin section, you can start to see the radio halos are there. Many of them. In fact, many times the metamorphic rocks have more radio halos than them in the granites. And polonium-210 radio halos found in the were found in these biotypes right throughout this metamorphic complex. But the polonium-214 and 218 and uranium radio halos were only found in the highest metamorphic zones where the rock had melted and in the granite itself. The radio halo numbers increased progressively with increasing metamorphism, but 